church in Galatia was born out of a beautiful movement of the Holy Spirit. The powerful and potent preaching of the good news of Jesus birthed a movement among the Galatians. But shortly after the Apostle Paul left, the church was hit with a crisis. The church had been infiltrated by a poisonous and convincing idea. Faith in Jesus was not enough. Instead of resting upon the completed work of Jesus, the Galatians began to believe they needed to affiliate with the right tribe of Christians, which meant they had to add to the equation. It was Jesus plus fulfilling the law, Jesus plus religious affiliation, Jesus plus sacred traditions. And if we're not careful, we too can heretically add to the gospel in the name of our own theological tribalism. But adding to the gospel only subtracts from it being the good news. There is only one equation we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Oh, good morning, Rise. How are we doing this morning? Oh, we're doing great. I love it. I'm very happy to hear that. Hey, grab a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 4. So we've been working our way through this epistle that is written to a church that the Apostle Paul had planted. And after, shortly after he planted it, he goes on, he moves on, he starts planting other churches. And this group infiltrates and starts adding to the gospel. Now, this is important for us because we ourselves, we can have these tendencies. We, can, we love rules. Because if you tell me a rule, then I can know I'm good enough. I can know they're bad enough because they're not following it, and I'm good enough. And so we're constantly feeling this pull. And so what we're going to be looking at here in chapter 4 is he starts to make this shift. He's kind of calling them out, calling them out, and then he starts to remind them in the second half of Galatians, but man, this is why the gospel is so beautiful. This is what we need. And so we start to see this turn take place here. So Galatians Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, sorry, I do not have a British or a Scottish, a Scottish accent to read it. You'll just have to bear with my American. Okay, uh, Galatians 4, 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also... When we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God and rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. Here's what we see happening in this text, 
is Paul is reminding us that the gospel moves us from slaves to sons. It gives us a new identity. We are no longer under the old identity. Now, there's a couple types of slaveship, slavery, that analogies that are painted in Scripture, okay? And and both of them are important. Um, There's slavery to the law and there's slavery to sin, okay? And so we're going to talk about both of them. Okay, first, I want to talk about this idea of slavery to the law. Now, we saw in the previous chapter... In Galatians 3.23, he says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Maybe your translation says imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. It's this idea that we were, they were guarded by the law. It's this protection piece. Uh, you could think of the, wall, the law as like training wheels, right? So, so it's, it's to get your balance, and you're, you're supposed to be able to, okay, this is the direction I'm supposed to go. But eventually, those training wheels are supposed to come off. And what's happening here is the Galatians are like, no, 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 like we feel better with the training wheels on. And Paul's like, you're missing out on the freedom that Christ has for you. You're missing out on the goodness as you want to put these back on. Now, there's a restrictive nature to the law because it's guiding us and it's pointing us to something. You ever read, read through the Old Testament? Or, or a lot of times, you know, you'll do these Bible reading plans at the beginning of the year. You know, you start in January, you make your way. You know, Genesis and Exodus, you're like, this is exciting. This is fun. You get to Leviticus, you're like, this is weird. Like, these laws, I don't understand. Let me just point out a few uh, Old Testament laws, just so where you're at, okay? The Old Testament laws said that you couldn't eat certain meats, okay? So BLT was just off the menu, right, in in the Old Testament. The Old Testament law said you couldn't wear garments of two kinds of cloth, right? So it just had to be one. You couldn't blend them together, which seems a little bit weird, you know, not really on that fashion, right? You couldn't take the life of a burglar during the day, only at night. Everybody's like, okay, so they come in at day, like rob during the day, not at night. At night, like that's fair game, but during the day it was not. Priests couldn't wear torn clothes, okay? So the whole preacher sneakers, fashion movement, right? I, I, I couldn't have my ripped jeans, you know, I don't, can't afford ripped jeans, you know, but if I ripped my jeans, it's because I wasn't able to afford new jeans. It's just, you know, understand, but that was a rule. The roof of your house had to have a railing so that no one fell off, okay? Apparently OSHA was around 4,000 years ago, okay? <laughs> and of course... Uh, the most important law of all, you couldn't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk, you know? Which I read laws like this, and I'm like, you ever see a sign or a rule, and you're like, there's a reason they have that. You know the reason they have that? Because somebody was dumb enough to do that, right? Right? There's so much in there that you see. But the point of it, and when you read through, well, the point of it is it's pointing us forward to say, man, we need Jesus. We cannot fulfill these things. And, and people... That's number one. We need Jesus. Number two, people are dumb. Like people are just, we're, we're dumb, right? You're, and those of you guys have, guys have kids, you ever just been shocked at the things you have to say to your kids? <laughs> hey, hey, we don't, we don't eat batteries. No, that's not, that's not a thing, right? Uh, or when, when I was growing up, 80s and 90s, uh, do you remember the yuck stickers that you would put on like, you know, right? I'm, I, now I'm like, really? Like, was I just waddling around trying to drink bleach or something? Like, why, why do we have to, you know, you're constantly, or, or uh, the fact that they sell guards for your light sockets because as soon as a kid gets a butter knife, they're like, ooh, yeah, I want it, right? Okay, here's why, right? At, at, at a young age, the prefrontal cortex is not developed yet, okay? And what does that do? It's where reasoning 
and analytical thinking and emotional control is in there, okay? And what's happening here is God is basically, in the Old Testament, God is saying humanity is like a child who's trying to eat batteries, okay? And I have to put, lay out all these laws because they don't understand. They're still growing into it. I came across this sign uh, at uh, it was a certain church that we rented previously. I took this picture. I saved this. This was from six years ago, okay? Uh, you know, if those of you guys who were maybe just listening to the audio of this, it says, please pee in the toilet and not on the floor, right? This is in a, you know, in a men's bathroom of uh, a, a, another church, okay? And I just think, like, man, like, I don't think the boys that go in there and are using the urinals, I just don't think that helps them that way. This is the law, right? This is the law, okay, right? You know, it doesn't actually help their aim at all, right? It's just like, you know, I, I think I noticed like that sign was a little bit wet. They're like, oh, one more thing to aim at, right? This is the law, right? It, the law, it will not save us. It just points out our deficiencies. It, it just points out where we fall short. And, and it actually can become a type of slavery because we find ourselves trapped trying to earn our own righteousness, burdened by our inability to meet the requirements of the law. So the law is a type of slavery. It's, it's a religious slavery, but there's also another type of slavery that we see in the scriptures. It's slavery to sin. This is when sin gets to rule and reign over our very nature. Slavery in the sense that of course you have a choice, but your nature always chooses it just chooses sin over and over. It talks, the New Testament talks about this enslavement. Paul, in another letter, in Romans 6, he says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled, ruled, overtaken by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. In, in the Old Testament, when, when David is writing in the Psalms, he talks about how he was born into sin. And here's what I need you to see and to understand and what, what Paul is helping the Galatians see and understand here. What the world calls freedom, the scriptures tell us is slavery. We think, we think being able to do whatever we want is freedom. If I could just eat, eat whatever I want, I can buy whatever I want, sleep with whoever I want, say whatever I want, we think that is freedom. But what we don't understand in our foolishness is this sense of freedom, doing whatever we want. It's actually what leads to bondage. Think about it. You eat whatever you want. You, you're, you're trapped by the bondage of unhealth that prevents you from living the full, long life that you actually desire. Slavery of debt that boxes us in and traps us when we buy whatever we want. Sleep with whoever you want. The it leads to the inability to actually, and, and they've done studies on this, the inability to bond deeply with your spouse. It creates a disconnection and an inability to have a deep bond when you have many sexual partners. Or say whatever I want, but ends up the loss of opportunity and relationship because of the flippancy of our words. See, here's what we need to understand, you guys. That when it comes to sin and the slavery of sin, it is, a, it is a enslaver because it will take you further than you ever thought you'd go. And then it will keep you there longer than you ever intended to stay and it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. And, it, and it's quiet in the room right now because we've all tasted that. Like we thought, no, 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 this is fine. I'm just gonna go down this road. 
and we find ourselves entrapped by it. We, we find ourselves losing relationships, losing some of the most meaningful things in life because we bought a lie that the world told us that, no, 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 freedom is being able to do whatever you want. And Paul is just pointing out the blatancy of this. He's like, no, 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 man, that's bondage. That's, that's slavery. R.C. Sproul, he puts it like this. He says, the will, according to the New Testament writers, is now in bondage. We are enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. The body, the mind, the will, the spirit, indeed the whole person have been infected by the power of sin. This is our old selves when we're trapped in those ways. I mean, you ever had something that you're like, you're like okay, I'm gonna stop. It's not, it's not an addiction. I can stop whenever I want. I just don't feel like stopping, right? January 1st, I'm gonna stop. January 7th, I'm gonna start again. But January 1st, I'm gonna stop. Any kind of addiction, food, alcohol, pornography, gossip, TV, substance, what, all these things, what I need you to understand, they are just an outward reflection of an inward wound, an inward problem. The reason you drink is because somewhere deep inside there's a wound that has not been healed. That's why you're turning to something to just numb it and turn everything off. The reason you sleep around is because at some point you didn't receive the care and affection and connection that you were created to long for. There's a good desire in you to connect with people and you never got that. And so you're turning to anything to solve that. The reason you explode with anger is because there's a child inside of you that felt help, that still felt helpless and scared, and you're finally big enough and loud enough to protect it. So anytime somebody even pushes that button, you explode with anger. And here's what I'm trying to tell you, is that your outward behavior is merely a reflection of an inward wound. And another drink, another one night stand, another angry explosion is not going to bring the healing you long for. The only healing you can get is through the wounded healer himself a savior, a Christ who walked this road and can bring us into this healing embrace. See, the, the, what I need us to understand here is both sin and the law are slavery. Both of them. We, we talked about this week one, the bridge analogy. You, you fall off the left side or you fall off the right side, you're falling off either way. I, I remember when um, I was 15, and I did my first like driving lesson with somebody. And, and for some reason, he decided to take me on this, this, back, this crazy, gnarly back road. And uh, off to the left side, was it was like this kind of cliff-type drop-off. Not like a deadly cliff, but like a, uh, think of it like a, a really steep hill, right? Not something that you're like, oh, this Toyota Camry could handle this. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you don't, you don't want to go off. But he warned me. He's like, as we're driving, he's like, hey, I, I need to just tell you what most people do. They get so afraid of driving off that hill that they drive into the ditch on the other side. And we do this. And I've seen people say, man, I do, I do not want to be legalistic. And I'm so against legalism and I'm going to push away and I'm push away and I'm push away. And then they find themselves entrapped by sin, by their own freedom. Or we say, no, I, I don't want the world has for me. I don't want the what the world has for me. So rather than following the good gospel and what God has for us, we now build 
uh, bigger fences around the rules that, that what God has laid out. And so we're further and further, and we find ourselves entrapped in legalism. And what Paul is saying is they're both slavery. Neither sin nor the law makes a good master. What we need is a father. See, both rebellion and religion, they are slave masters. And what Paul is telling us is that slaves have a master, but sons have a father. And what we get in Christ is a father who dearly loves us. Look at verse four again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. That means to set free those who were under the law, either under the law because of religion or under the law because of rebellion. Both were entrapped so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He's saying, in Christ, we are now sons. Listen, um, here's what I love about the language of, the, of here. When, when you're reading through the New Testament, there's plenty of times um, where it uses the terms uh, sons and daughters or brothers and sisters. Some translations actually do a better job at this of, of looking at the gendered language. Um, we take words and, and we'll say something like, you know, all men. And when the Bible, um, there's times where it means all men and women, and there's times where it means all men. But we just, you know, certain translations will just say all men, okay? And so we have to understand this. But what, here's what I need you to see and understand here. This is actually, even though there's times where it says sons and daughters, times where it says brothers and sisters, this is specific gendered language that says you get the inheritance. You are now sons. Now, why would it say that if, it, if Paul is writing to men and women? Here's why. And, and Russell touched on this last week, but, but I want us to understand this is because in that culture, it was only the firstborn son that received the inheritance. And what Paul is saying is that through Jesus, you all get the inheritance of sons. You get the status of sons. You get the, right, the rights of sons. Paul is saying that no matter our past, no matter that if we are born into the family of Abraham or we're born out of it, we are Gentiles. No matter if you were the firstborn son or the lastborn daughter or the most forgotten of all, the middle child, doesn't matter where you're at, right? <laughs> Whether we are born a, mo- a member of royalty or a poor servant, all of us in Christ, we can have the status of sonship. Sinclair Ferguson, Scottish theologian, He puts it like this, our sonship is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. It becomes this new identity and this new status. So let's look at this. Let's look at this blessing of adoption into sonship. First, um, it means you have a place in this family. You belong. You've maybe gone gone your whole life feeling like, "I, I just don't fit in. I'm, over, I'm unseen, I'm overlooked, I don't belong, I'm not like other people. I feel left out and I feel ignored. But here's what I need you to understand through adoption into the family of God in the gospel of Jesus. We are all fully equal members of God's family. Each and every, I mean, this is a beautiful theological truth. We all have a place through Christ 
in God's family. William Barclay, a New Testament theologian and historian, he puts it like this. He says, in Roman law, which was the law of the land of this time, when the adoption was complete, it was complete indeed. The person who had been adopted had all the rights of a legitimate son in his new family and completely lost all rights in his old family. In the eyes of the law, he was a new person, so new that even all the debts and obligations connected with his previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. This is Roman law. And this is what Paul is saying. He's like, no, no, you've been adopted into the family. All those old burdens, all those old debts, all those old shortcomings, they're gone. You have a place in this family. Someone being born Jewish didn't make them a more a part of God's family. This is why Paul is arguing. He's like, no, 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 you don't need that old way, that old slavery. You are, if you are born a Gentile, you are just as much a part of God's family. And we have to understand this today. Being born into a Christian family does not make someone more a part of God's family. You could be born in a church pew or you could have just walked into this building a handful of months ago or walked through a church door a handful of months ago. If you are saved by Jesus, you are as much a part of the family as anybody. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is why baptism is such a sacred moment in the life of the church. You know why? Because we're saying you're a part of the family now. This is why it's actually public. We, we've had people say, hey, I wanna get baptized, but I wanna do it in private. No, baptism is not a private event. It's a family ceremony where we as a church are acknowledging, doesn't matter what you've gone through, doesn't matter who you've been, doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your strengths or your weaknesses, you are a part of this family. And this is why we cheer with all of heaven. So, so this first one, this is Michael. This is our brother in Christ. And he, you'll see, he's like a church mascot nowadays. He's always here. He's always walking around, right? And here's what I need, I need us to understand. This is our brother, and this is the moment where that was a public declaration. He was a part of our eternal family. Uh, this is Whitney. Whitney is our sister in Christ. This is 2016 where she made that declaration. And she has been a part of this church ever since. And she has had highs and she has had lows. And what I need you to understand is she is not more a part of this church family, the eternal family of God during the highs. And she is not less a part of the church family during the lows. She is our sister in Christ. Uh, this is my brother Z. He got baptized five years ago. Him and his wife, they've since, they've moved. They don't come to this church anymore, but guess what? He is my eternal brother, amen? Because we are a family in Christ. This is my boy, Sam Buxman, right here, okay? Sam got baptized. Sam, uh, I met Sam at his wedding, and I'll never forget his wedding. You know why I'll never forget his wedding? Because it's the only wedding I've ever been to where the meal was breakfast food. It was pancakes and waffles and cereal, and I'm like, I like this guy. And last summer... At church in the park, Sam was, was going through some pain in life. And he said he felt like God was telling him to come back to church. And he showed up at church in the park and he said he was shaking, he was so nervous. He, he held his Bible and he could just see the pages of his Bible shaking. And I'm like, why were you so nervous? He's like, because I just knew, like, because of all that's happened in my life, I was just gonna walk into condemnation and judgment. 
And I'm like, what happened? He's like, I walked into a family of grace. And so a handful of months later, as he's just immersed himself in this community, he says, I want to get baptized. I want to declare my faith in Jesus because this is my family. This is Tori. Uh, she grew up the granddaughter of a pastor here in Gresham, but here's what I need you to understand, that being born into that family didn't earn her way into this family. Jesus brought her and bought her into this family, and she is Christ. And each and every week when she goes and serves and disciples the next generation in this church, she does it as a member of this family. Uh, this is our brother, Scott Hess. Uh, Scott Hess, a handful of months ago, was radically saved. He looked at his wife and he said, I will, look, I'll, I'll support you going to church, but I'm never gonna believe that junk. And then at the birth of his daughter, they, they hit a moment of crisis. And he said for the first time in his life, he prayed. And he said he felt the, the presence of God and he experienced the presence of God. And he got radically saved in that moment. You'll, you'll see him pushing his daughter like around this lobby, just big old smile on his face. You know why? Because he is our brother. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Here, listen to me, because of adoption, you have a place in this family. Second, you are chosen and wanted. And what's so incredible about adoption as you are a product of choice. God chose you. You are in this family because God wanted you. You are chosen. And even if you find yourself here right now, and you're like, man, I, I'm, not a, I'm not there yet. I'm not, a, I'm not a believer. I need you. There's a reason you're here. You know why? God is pursuing after you. He's coming hard after you. If you would but receive his grace and his goodness. This is a powerful understanding. Uh, my mom, she was born in Augsburg, Germany. And then her family moved to uh, uh, all around, Hawaii, Indiana, ended up in El Paso, Texas. She grew up in El Paso, Texas. Beautiful city of El Paso, Texas, okay? And uh, um, when she was 15 years old, uh, she was getting ready to get her, her driver's permit. And so she needed her driver's license, uh, or she, sorry, she needed her birth certificate. And uh, because she was born, born in Germany, she had to have it, have it mailed uh, to her. So every day she would go out and check. Every day she would go out and check. And one of the days... Her mom pulled her aside, and she said, I need to tell you something before you get your birth certificate. She's like, what? She said, your dad is not your dad. She said, he has adopted you when you were a little girl. Um, and we will never talk about this. But you've been adopted, and you're gonna read that on your birth certificate. And my mom told me, uh, at first, she was mad. She was like, how can my parents lie to me? Like, who's this stranger who's raising me? And um, she actually never talked about it with her dad. After her dad passed away, decades later, she finally sat down with her mom and was like, okay, I need to know the story. And I remember my mom sharing this with me. And she explained to me how, at first, she just felt um, betrayed. But as she matured and understood, she reached this point where she's like, it actually made me feel so loved because my dad who treated me no different than my sister, no different than my brother, he actually, I realized he wanted me. 
he didn't have a choice with my bratty little sister, but he had a choice with me. <laughs> he wanted me to be his daughter. And even though I wasn't his flesh and blood, he wanted, me to, he wanted to take me on on his own. This is why this word adoption is so powerful. Uh, probably very few of us in this room have experienced that, of, of being chosen and being wanted. But what Paul is saying is in the gospel, man, you are wanted and you are chosen by God. This is why Brandon Manning says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Our identity rests in God's relentless tenderness for us revealed in Christ. Man, through adoption, you are chosen and wanted. Uh, Through adoption, the blessing of sonship is you have access to your Abba. Now, this is really interesting because this word here is is a reference to what Jesus called his father when he prayed. Now, if you're reading this letter in its original language, um, it, written in Greek, what's gonna happen is you're gonna be reading through an even Old Testament, even most Old Testament quotes will be from a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So you're reading Greek, 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 and you get to this word that is Aramaic. And it's the word Abba. The reason Paul keeps this in Aramaic is because this was Jesus' native tongue. And it's a word that just means dad or daddy. And it's a term of intimacy and endearment. And what Paul is reminding us is he's like, man, you have the access of a child. You have the same intimacy with God the Father that God had with his son, Jesus, because of the gospel, because of the spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. We've been going nearly nine years, all right? And something has not happened in this church that I kind of just expected to happen, um, and it probably will at some point. Um, We haven't had a moment yet where somebody in the middle of a service like stands up and starts yelling at me. Okay, I'm not like asking for that, like, okay. But I just hear these stories, like, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and here's what I need you to understand. Like, it probably will happen at some point. We're just, you know, we're gonna grow, more people are gonna come in, you know, outsiders are gonna w- walk in. We want outsiders to come in. We want people hurting to come in and experience the grace of God. But a lot of times, you'll have people who are really hurting, they don't know how to express that. And somebody's gonna stand up and they're gonna start yelling at me. And here's what I need you to understand. I'm not gonna have a dialogue in that moment, right? They don't get to hijack, uh, th- with their agenda, hijack what we're doing. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna politely ask them to, leave, and then one of our 30 safety team members is going to come around them, and with grace and truth, is going to help them find their way into the lobby for a more appropriate discussion, right? Okay? There's there's not a place for that. But I also need you to hear this. Um, If my little girl walked through those back doors and called out for her daddy, y'all can wait. (laughs) Y'all can wait. Because my little girl has that kind of access to me. And she knows that if she really needs me, she can interrupt at any moment. That's what that word means, Abba. 
And what Paul is saying is that with the sovereign king of the universe who controls all things, you have that kind of access to him. That when you're in pain and when you're hurting and when you're, you can't say, oh, this isn't good, this isn't big enough. He has bigger things. You can cry out. You can say, Abba, dad, I need you. And boom, his heart is with you in that moment. And we have that through Jesus. That's the powerful access that a child is granted by this simple phrase, dad, daddy. Abba, and because of Jesus, we have that access and intimacy. And fourth, the blessing of sonship is that we are heirs to eternity. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Everything that God owns belongs to us as well because we belong to him. That's our inheritance. The the earth is our inheritance the, the renewed heaven and earth is our inheritance. Our eternal inheritance is as co-heirs with Christ. It is the result of this amazing grace. As one theologian put it, Christ's riches are your riches. His resources are your resources. His righteousness is your righteousness. His power is your power. His position is your position. As we, where he is, we are. What he has, we have. This is the what it means to be heirs of eternity. This is so incredible. And what Paul is telling us is all of this is secured by Jesus and assured by the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who secures this, but it is the Holy Spirit who assures it. It is Jesus that gives us this status of sonship, but it's the Holy Spirit that allows us to experience what it means to be a son. So why go back to the old ways? Why go back to what we had before? As he says in verse nine, but now that you have come to know God, this intimacy, this sonship, this adoption, now that you've come to know God or rather be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Like, are you kidding me? He's saying, do not go back to your old life. Stop. Like, we have this tendency. We're like, but I knew it. But I was so familiar with it. Uh, Galatians 4.9, this passage here. You know, I, I saw a video uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm like, this is this passage to a T. You can pull that up, right? And so, so what it is, is there's this sheep, appropriately, uh, sheep just stuck in a hole. And so a boy comes along, and he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull this sheep out, right? I don't know what country this is. I like his slippers. He's got his Nikes on. But he pulls the sheep out. And finally, okay, good. The sheep can go free. This is us, right? That is you. Paul's like, why? I just pulled you out with the gospel. And you keep going back over and over and over. As W.W. Wearsby says, one of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity when in reality it leads the believer back into a second childhood of Christian experience. I'm gonna read that again because I don't want you to miss it while you're thinking about sheep jumping in holes. (laughs) One of the tragedies of legalism is it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity, right? We get afraid of these people. 
oh, but man, they, they know the rules and they talk about the rules and they condemn me with the rules and they must be so spiritually mature. But in reality, it leads believers back into a second childhood of the Christian experience. We're jumping back in the hole. We're going back into slavery. Whether we go in the slavery of sin or slavery of the law and legalism. And Paul here is fighting against the legalizers who are trying to bring people from freedom in the gospel back to slavery under the law. He even referred to this. He talks about these false brothers and they come in and they slip to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us back into slavery. Like we're fooling, we just keep coming back to these things. We're like, yeah, we know, but it destroyed us. Yeah, I know, but like it was, I knew it and it was comfortable. You ever heard the word like, you know that word nostalgia? I just feel nostalgic about it. You know why you feel nostalgic about things? Because the trauma in your brain has blocked out how horrible camping was as a child, right? <laughs> and so your kids grow up and you're like, let's go camping, right? So fun. And then you get done, you're like, why did, that was, I was, we were wet and like smelled like smoke and we just argued the whole t- way there and the whole way out. And like, you're like, it was fun when I was a kid. Yeah, because you just like played in the dirt and slept and ate corn dogs. That's why it was fun. Right, as a kid, you have a nostalgic memory. This is, you know how, you know where the word nostalgia fits, you know, best? Um, The Oregon coast. (laughs) Every time you go out there, you're like, oh, let's go to the beach. (laughs) It's windy, it's wet, even the dogs are like whimpering, trying to dig holes, like to just bury themselves. You're like, ah, I just love the ocean, right? No, you have nostalgic feelings. And then you go out there and you're like, This is miserable. You know why? Because you've blocked out the trauma and pain of the Oregon coast over and over. (laughs) This is what we do with the old life. But here's the thing. Here's what I need you to understand. Like, you do it with your sin, too. You're like, man, those party days were fun. Like, no, they, bless you, no, they weren't. Do we need a safety team to escort this young man out? No, I just apologize. Those party days were fun. No, they weren't. They absolutely weren't. Look at what Israel does. They are uh, brought out of slavery, and they're walking through the wilderness. And look at how the nostalgia they look back on Egypt with. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. Slavery, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. They're just like, oh, oh. Egypt, it was so good. And Moses like, you were enslaved for 400 years. Oh, but the leeks and the onions. Ah, oh, the garlic, right? This is what we do. And what Paul is saying, and what Moses is saying, is get the taste of slavery out of your mouth. Be done with it. Oh, but, oh man, I, I know I shouldn't go back down that road and I know he's, I, I shouldn't date him. He's not, he's not a Christian, he's not a believer, but he's handsome and he's rich. Maybe it, it hasn't worked in the past, 
but maybe it'll work this time. And Paul is like, really, you're gonna go back to that? Christ has set you free. He's saying, get that taste out of your mouth. Oh, but I know I'm saved by grace, but I just want God to be proud of me. And I, and I just want to be righteous on my, my own actions, and I, I want to earn, I, w- I want everybody to look at me, and I'm high and mighty. And Paul is like, no, that's not the gospel. Get that taste out of your mouth. I, I know I'm not the partier that I used to be, but I just miss the fun of that life and the buzz and, and, and just the excitement of what it was. And Paul's like, that was slavery. Man, get that taste out of your mouth. I, I know I'm now a part of a family and, and God wants to protect us, but I just miss gossip so much. Oh, the rumors, the joy. Oh, it's so much fun to talk about. And Paul is like, that's not who you are anymore. You're like the leeks and the onions, the garlic. <laughs> Listen, I don't care if it's slavery to sin or slavery, slavery to legalism. That's not who you are anymore. You have been set free by Christ. Stop looking back on the slavery of Egypt with fondness and nostalgia. Stop looking back on the slavery, the law and rules. Stop looking for the slavery of sin. Walk in the freedom of sonship that we have in Christ. He says in Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In her book, um, this author, Anne Voskamp, she tells this story about her grandfather as a story that her grandfather would tell her. And you know, when grandfathers tell us stories, we always know there's some embellishment. (laughs) But apparently as the story went, there was uh, this giant tropical snake that had slithered its way into this house in this jungle cabana to this unsuspecting woman's kitchen. And when she sees it, she screams and runs out and a neighbor comes by and he's got a machete over his shoulder. Just, this is his life, no big deal. And he walks in her house and he waits till the snake gets close and he just cuts its head off. But her grandfather told her that this woman stood outside her house for hours as the snake continued to thrash around, breaking windows and pots and just, even though the head is clearly cut off, kicked into the river, the body of the snake is just thrashing around. See, because there's this strange thing that happens in a snake's neurology, is that it blood, its blood flow allows a snake to live after its head's cut off. And so it just continues to just wreak havoc and damage. And, and, and it tells the story of her grandfather explaining this and leaning down and just saying, listen, a snake can only wreak havoc until it accepts that it has no head, that, that it's actually dead. And he whispers in her ear and he just says, the enemy of your soul can only wreak havoc in your life until you accept that it's already dead. That Christ has come and he's crushed its head That's not who you are anymore. He has no power over your life anymore. The enemy cannot imprison you when you've been set free by the Savior. The enemy cannot hold you in bondage when you're held by him and empowered by him. 
And there's no thing that can hold you back when you are in the arms of your Savior. And I think a few of you this morning just need to be reminded of that. Christ has set you free. This old bondage, these old burdens, the only power they have over you is whatever you allow it. But I need, you to, tell, I need to tell you this morning, that snake, that serpent, his head has been crushed. And Christ has set you free and he's adopted you into his family. Man, so let's walk like it. Jesus, we are so grateful for your gospel. The way it moves, the way it sets us free of the bondage. Would you just allow us to get the taste of slavery out of our mouths to be done And would we walk in the freedom that you have given us? Freedom to love you, a freedom to love others. A freedom to walk in obedience and holiness. We are no longer trying to earn our way to your acceptance. We are no longer trying to battle through the oppression of sin in our lives. But we've been set free from it. Lord, would you empower us to walk in that? I pray all this in your name. Amen.